You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. Welcome to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. Sitting alongside, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Well, Ben, I'm back after a week off owing to the birth of my son. Hey, how's that going? Uh, good. I don't Great. see a baby around here. Is... Uh, he's off on a college scholarship. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's gone to uh, UCLA to play football. Yeah, so, so so you should be physically assaulting one of his coaches any day now. Yes, with a kettlebell or any other workout accoutrement. You seem more like a like an elastic bands kind of guy, maybe a yoga ball kind of guy. Choke a strength coach with an elastic band? I yeah. would totally do that. Yeah, that does seem like right up your alley. So um, I've been off for the last week, and I need you to real quick just summarize everything that happened in the world of mixed martial arts because I haven't been paying attention. Oh boy, I really wish we could have talked about this beforehand because I don't know if we have the time right now. A three, lot of stuff kind of happened. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, you know, I suppose I'm just showing my own ignorance here, but I never thought there was much gray area with broken ribs. Seems like being a little bit pregnant. And in round number two, finally... It's the round you've all been waiting for, the one where we debate the existence of gay Jesus. And in round number three, is it just us, or is the career of Leoto the Dragon Machida starting to drag on? Way to really set yourself up for that one. You see what I did there? You set it to yourself, and then you spiked it. The Dragon Which I don't think is legal. Machida? Yeah. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but right now... Like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes for us from Lucas Hanowell. He writes, Josh Koscheck. What are your thoughts about Josh Koscheck's recent move to Bellator and what are some potential fight options in Bellator that you quote unquote would watch? Also, is Bellator slowly becoming the senior tour of the MMA world and are we okay with that? I think Bellator done became the senior tour. Yeah, when you put Ken Shamrock versus Kimbo Slice in the main event of a of probably your biggest show of the year in 2015, and the record, the previous rec- ratings records that it breaks are Tito Ortiz versus Stefan Bonner. Yeah, like, yeah, you are the senior tour at that point. Not, I mean, more than the senior tour, you are fully trafficking in retired dudes. Because <laughs> e- officially, even the guys on the senior tour have not yet retired; they're still active fighters. Bellator is actually. Uh, kind of catering to the inactive and aged mixed martial arts fighter at this point. Because that's what mixed martial arts fighters need, is somebody to come around with a paycheck and say, hey, have you thought about giving it another shot? Well, and that's what come get punched in the head again? That's what's kind of interesting about this Josh Koscheck signing, which came out of nowhere. Uh, they announced it on that last Bellator. Do you not remember somebody on the CME kind of calling this one? Really? No, you, I don't remember that. You don't remember that when we were talking about how Josh Koscheck seemed like he just wanted to go ahead and finish up the last few fights on his UFC contract, get that contract over with to, oh, I don't know, maybe entertain other offers? You don't remember that? Uh, did you say that? I did say that. Wow. Look at you over there. Yeah. 
Even I didn't fully believe it at the time. Well, I, I was gonna, uh, the thing that I was gonna say about this Josh Kostick signing is that when we believed that he had called it quits, I remembered us like sort of giving him his propers for saying Josh Kostick has been wise with his money. Uh, all reports say that he's got enough to, to survive and live on for the rest of his life. He's kind of getting out at the right time. You know, and here we are now, once again, underlining for the 1000th time the, the fact that, uh, just about nobody walks away at the and proper time. The other thing is, we're only going to give you your propers once. You know, you kind of, you kind of get one shot at the your propers. propers uh, more than once from this show. Yeah. We, if we have to do propers redo, it's not going to go. We're not going to have the same enthusiasm for it. Let's just say that. As for fights in Bellator for Josh Koscheck that I hashtag would watch, I mean, Paul Daly, that just makes sense, right? Like yep. that seems like what we got to do. Yeah. And aside from that, I would assume we would have to know more fighters in the Bellator middleweight and or welterweight <laughs> divisions for Josh Koscheck to fight. I'm glad you mentioned middleweight because I hope that Josh Koscheck takes the money weight approach to this thing, as you can do in Bellator, uh, with a little more ease, I think. What about that dude who said that he plays hard, trains hard, and fucks hard? What's that guy's name? Like Brendan Rogers or Brendan Ryan? Something, something real Irish. Boston Irish, I should say. Irish-American. Uh, I believe his uh, his Twitter is at Swaggleberry Finn. Why are you coming up with? Are you just making up stuff right no, now? No, that's the, that's the truth. And now, I mean, he's the only he's he would be an entertaining guy if we don't mind seeing Josh Koscheck getting his bell rung a few few more times, which we do. Uh, here's I'm going to throw a nightmare scenario at you, please. Christian Cyrus Lieben. Oh, wow. No way. Come on, man. What do you think? Koscheck versus Lieben in the Bellator cage? If they go and get Lieben, that's when I, like, my current feeling of, hey, there's some nostalgia value in seeing these old guys come on back and keep on doing it in a kind of a senior tour way where they get to fight other old guys and it's not too dangerous. But if you go and get Lieben, who seems like he would be powerless to resist the siren call if Bellator yes. were to come knocking... That's when I start to feel like it's kind of abusive on their part. Like, that's when I feel like they're the drug dealer hanging outside of the methadone clinic, just being like, hey, maybe give it another shot. Maybe, maybe this time you'll just do it on the weekends. But hashtag would watch? Hashtag mark? probably would watch and God, feel bad about it. We would hate ourselves for it. Uh, next question is two Bellator questions in a row. What do you, what do you think about that? Unprecedented. This one comes from Nate Amos. He writes, I just watched Dogfight. Seems Dada 5000 felt like Kimbo stiffed him and wouldn't let him compete. Any chance we get Mr. Coker to put on a backyard brawler main event of Kimbo versus Dada 5000 in the Bellator cage? Please discuss. A lot of conversational references in this email to people we may or may not know. I mean, obviously, we know who Dada 5000 is. Right. Well, and I watched the dogfight. Did you watch this? I have not watched it yet. It's on my internet queue. I'm having, I'll be honest with you, having a hard time uh, selling it to my wife as something that we should watch. Yeah, no, I did not watch it with my wife. I watched it on my own time. Uh, but I watched it because I interviewed uh, the guy, Billy Corbin, who uh, did, was the director of this, also did Cocaine Cowboys and a couple of the 30 for 30s, including mm. The U, one of the greatest wrote, 30 wrote for 30s. Wrote all those songs for Smashing Pumpkins. Right? Predictable. Same guy? Predictable, Chad Dunn. Billy Corbin? Uh, but yeah, Dada 5000 does heavily imply that basically Kimbo and the, the Elite XC promoters 
kind of kept him out of the scene because they didn't want to confuse people because he already kind of resembles Kimbo. Like, he's a big black dude with a big bushy beard and was a backyard brawler type. So they were this, you know, we already got one of those. Like, we don't want to introduce another Kimbo acolyte into the mix. At least that's his story. But then, I don't know, in Dogfight, the end, they show him fighting in a real MMA fight, like in Florida, against somebody. And he is not, he does not seem like he is MMA, like serious TV MMA material. So even, even less so than a, than a Kimbo Slice I would say type so. individual? Yeah. He got exhausted really quick. He had no ground game. He won his fight, but it was, he got a lot of help from the referee due to a very suspicious stand-up. Uh, maybe even I, it was either a stand up like out of side control or a, maybe even a stand up out of mount. Like the other dude was pretty tired too, but you don't get stood up out of like a dominant position on the ground. And he did. And then he won when he got, was able to get back on his feet. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, at this point, it seems like Bellator wouldn't turn down a whole lot of fights for Kimbo based on, well, this would seem too wacky. Like that doesn't seem like the thing that's going to convince them not to do it. Uh, and maybe if you could drum up enough hype. Sure. Kimbo, Kimbo Slice though versus, when you, when you put out a poster and it says Kimbo Slice versus Dada 5000, that's when Scott Coker gets back into the hotel suite, splashes some water on his face, looks himself in the mirror and says, what's going on, Scott? How did it come to this? What are you, what are you doing, Scott? Three or four fingers of bourbon. You said you weren't going to do this. (laughs) According to Sure Dog Fight Finder, Dafir Dada 5000 Harris, is 2-0 and in his mixed martial arts career uh, with victories over Tim Papp and Cedric James. Uh-huh. There's also a headline here that says Dada 5000 calls out Kimbo Slice at New Gen 4, which is apparently the name of a uh, of a, uh, a promotion that he fought at. And that story is dated February 12th, 2011. So he has been on the Kimbo call-out bandwagon for a while now. Well, he's a, he's trying to be a promoter now. And he, he the dogfight thing makes it look like he has some natural ability as a promoter. Like he, he has a weird charisma that you can't quite look away from. Last I heard, he was trying to promote uh, what sounded like I never cool, totally got the the full story on this, but from how it was told to me, he was trying to promote some fights on a boat. Oh, okay. Yes. A garbage barge or yeah, uh, like sounded, a yacht? Like, it sounded kind of like Gangs of New York offshore barge fighting uh, a little bit. In international waters out there between Cuba and the United States? The whole thing sounded weird. But he, I mean, he might have more of a future as a promoter than than inside the cage, let's say. Here's the thing about, I mean, we would love to laugh this off as ridiculous, right? Uh, the thing about Kimbo, though, is, and you know, this was a uh, a main topic of conversation during the was the Kimbo Slice Can Shamrock fight fixed debacle like there was this this uh public opinion seemed to be that Bellator wanted Kimbo to beat Ken Shamrock so then they would establish Kimbo as i guess still a promotable figure in mixed martial arts uh and he may or may not be i don't know but uh, the the trouble with Kimbo now that you have him signed to a multi-fight deal is who he's going to fight, right? Because he gets his ass handed to him by most relevant, I'm not even going to say relevant, active guys, even in the, the, the circus sideshow that is the heavyweight division. The trouble is, how do you find a fight that keeps Kimbo uh, as like a viable promotional uh, piece? And when you think about guys maybe he could beat, 
Dada 5000 would probably be on the list, right? <laughs> okay, I guess you make a pretty good point there. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. Anybody with decent takedown ability is probably going to beat Kimbo. I though wonder, the thing that I started wondering when people were making that argument that, hey, it was fixed because they didn't want Ken Shamrock to win, they wanted Kimbo to win because they, they want him to stay a promotable figure that they can make a whole bunch of money off of. Haven't we learned, if nothing else, based on the recent history of Kimbo and MMA that people don't seem to care if Kimbo wins? I mean, think about the who's Kimbo's already been beaten by. I mean, like, you know, Matt Mitrione beat him. You know, it, there's like guys who have beat him in the past who would not draw as well as Kimbo would. I don't think people care that much about whether he wins. That could be. It's, his appeal apparently is based on something else, uh, though. I'm not sure. I'm entirely sure what. The next question comes from Mackenzie from St. Louis. He writes, can we fi now finally cut the bullshit about Joe Schilling? Ben, a third Bellator question. What is going on? In a row. We have scored the hat trick. Wow, this is a weird week. I assume most people have turned the podcast off at this point. <laughs> can we finally cut the bullshit about Joe Schilling, writes Mackenzie from St. Louis. I don't doubt that he could work to become a good MMA fighter, but to act like a guy with a 2-5 and five record as a feature attraction is a joke. He's a great striker, no doubt, but the only reason he is in this position is because he knocked cold a guy, in parentheses, Manhoff, who either gets, is it, is it just people can't refer to people by their full names? Is that what we're doing? I assume that they're writing these on their phones as they're rushing into a meeting with congressional aides. Okay, yeah, that's probably they're hurriedly typing it on the BlackBerry. The mobile version and of the COVID send. Event Hello, Congressman. Uh, he fight. He he knocked cold a guy who either gets KO'd or he KOs someone, and after that, everyone started acting like he was an amazing fighter, even though that win brought him to a paltry two and three. Heading into this fight against Kato. I read, I read that this was, see, I'm, I, I, I hear it in your voice. The, that the exasperation. Uh, I read that this was quote unquote, his fight to lose. Really? A guy who has no proven ground game whatsoever was such a shoe in to win. Now here's what's interesting about this email. Mackenzie from St. Louis, Ben, he correctly wrote shoe in in the proper way. What do you mean? S H O O shoe in. Is that the proper way? Yeah, it is. Plus, Do you know the etymology of that phrase? Um, no, but we could look it up. Plus, the bias of the announcers, especially Jimmy, saying Cato could be careful what he wished for by saying he wanted to be famous, was nauseating at best and made me think one thing. Are you fucking kidding me? Out of line or are you dudes in agreement? Uh, valid point here. I think that Bellator tried to make kind of a bigger deal out of Joe Schilling than he probably deserved. Uh, I don't know if it will be viable for them to continue to do that. But like we've said all along and like we said when we were answering the first question uh, this week about whether or not Bellator had jumped in with both feet into the uh, senior tour uh, realm of promotion, uh, they're basically just scrounging around for anything. Fries at the bottom of the bag, dude. Well, and they need somebody who can go out there and sell the fries at the bottom of the bag, which and, is the promise of somebody like Joe Schilling. Right, and the, 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 it seemed like the the promise, as you said, of Joe Schilling was that he he talked pretty well. He had an interesting story. You could produce five-minute video vignettes about Joe Schilling that were compelling. Now, and plus, at this point, you know, he makes a good point about the his record is... Not anything to get excited about at all at this point in MMA. But still, if they're like, oh, hey, we are doing that Joe Schilling, Phil Baroni fight. I mean, hashtag would watch. Like, don't feel great about it, but I'm going to sit down and watch that one. You know what, though? What, now that you mentioned the first name thing, I feel like maybe McKenzie from St. Louis is, 
is doing the, this to us on purpose. You think he knows you know, about my... You know, the tipping point for me was uh, the line, plus the bias of the announcers, especially Jimmy. Just Jimmy. Yeah, could have... Jimmy, Jimmy Smith, Smith is who we're talking about there. Yeah, and he's not a well... Like, it's not like Rogan and Goldberg, where, you know, I don't feel like Jimmy Smith is quite on the one name basis as an well, neither MMA is announcer. Hisaki so. Kato, right, okay. who knocked out Joe Schilling via Superman punch during the second round of Bellator 139 last weekend, which... That's the thing that makes me think maybe we've reached the end of the Joe Schilling show when, like, you're, there's a special, when, when MMA websites are doing a special post that's like, hey, watch this guy get knocked out via Superman punch. I don't know if you can be a drawing card after that. Oh, yeah. You're saying, oh, ring, ring, ring. What's that? Oh, Joe Schilling's going to fight Phil Brony. Chad? Yeah, hashtag would watch. There you go. Is, does, I guess this harkens back to the first question, but like, are we fully on board now with Bellator kind of making us feel bad about ourselves? I guess we are. I mean, I, I guess what Bellator has figured out is that we, we might plug our nose and sit down through some of these fights, but we will sit down. And that's, that's a value in itself right there. You know, the more I think about it, the more that fries in the bottom of the bag analogy just continues to work. I mean, because you feel bad about yourself when you you, you tip, put the bag to your lips, tip do, your head back, and shake it, shuffling thing. This get a couple of salt packets in your mouth, but you don't even care because you're getting the fries in the bottom of the bag. I mean, if you told me that you were opening a fast food restaurant where one of the things on the menu was just a a greasy bag full of loose fries. <laughs> I would ask where I could invest. The next question this week comes from Isaac Spooner. He writes, y'all going to talk about Lorenz Larkin? Because you should. Yeah, let's talk about Lorenz Larkin. Yeah, he's just going to go out there with a weird-ass haircut, looking like a like a muscled-up ruby rod from uh, Fifth Element, and uh, kind of get buck wild against Santiago Ponzinibbio. I, it was one of those things where you could see that he was feeling the flow, couldn't you? And yeah. he was just going to like, hey, let's try this. Let's see if I can knock him out with this crazy thing. Like he seemed to realize I got this guy's number. Now let's see how exciting I can make it. And it was, it was exciting. Despite the fact that this was his fourth fight in the UFC, I have to say that when we start talking about how it seems like the UFC has devolved into a bunch of like nameless interchangeable fighters who could appear on any fight night event. That's what I think every time I see the name Santiago Ponzanibio. I always think, well, the creative fighter, just yeah. like a random name generated by my PlayStation. Yeah. You still use PlayStations? And maybe you, you hit a couple wrong letters in there and you didn't realize until you'd already hit saved and then you thought, well, screw it. We'll just go with this. Ponzanibio, sure. So uh, Lorenz Larkin has gone down to welterweight now after three losses in a row at, at middleweight. And now he's 2-0 at 170 pounds. He's got two big wins this year. He beat John Howard back in January via first-round TKO. And now he beat uh, Santiago Ponzanibio via second-round TKO, uh, where, as you said, he was feeling the flow. So, you know, not the highest level of competition for the monsoon yet at 170 pounds. But, uh, you know, 28 years old on this little roll now, a guy who started his MMA career 13 and 0, uh, not, not counting the, the, he got knocked out by Muhammad Lawal, but, uh, then that was, that was overturned. Kind of uh, crazy to think though, right? That now he's fighting as a welterweight in the UFC and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember seeing him kind of get ragdolled by Mullah Wall. Like, he, 
But you know what else he did back in 2012? He's got a unanimous decision victory over a guy who is at the current moment carrying around the UFC 170 pound title. And that is Robbie Lawler. So I'm not saying that Lorenz Larkin could go out and beat the current version of Robbie Lawler at 170 pounds, but he's an interesting guy to have around at 170 pounds, if nothing else. He is. Uh, and I want to give some credit to the, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but pointing out that after Lorenz Larkin's post-fight speech, wherein uh, he, he waxed poetic about Florida beaches and how much he loved them. Uh, and it seemed like, not just pandering to the crowd either. Like he was not just trying to get on their good side. He did seem deeply affected by Florida beaches. And as somebody pointed out on Twitter, uh, after that speech from now on, we should all refer to the ocean as simply beach water. So you think Lorenz Larkin had a life changing experience? Maybe, maybe it was some kind of magical swam, beach water. He swam with the dolphins <laughs> in 70 degree beach water and harnessed their power like Diego Sanchez in the storm. You know, I've been to, to the beach in Florida. My in-laws live down there, and it is nice. My parents live down there. It is very nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't really want to go back, but yes, I agree in theory. Why would you go to Florida when it's 104 degrees in, in Montana this week? Uh, last question this week comes from Beeston258. Of course. He writes, Saturday's card was the end of an era, the last card under the old drug testing rules, and the last card before the Reebok deal kicks in. Time to pour one out for sponsorship banners and unique sponsors on fight shorts. What were some of your favorites? Obviously, Dude Wipes and Condom Depot come to mind, but what are some others that stuck out to you? Ben, I will always remember years ago now when after a fight, Randy Couture thanked his sponsor, Rick's Tire Barn. Sure, it wasn't Gary's Tire Barn? I seem to remember Gary's Tire was Barn. Was it Gary's Tire Barn? Maybe I will forget. Who knows? <laughs> but it was uh, the point of the story being Randy Couture thanked a tire barn. There was a tire barn that was an MMA sponsor, sponsored a few different people. And I think, if we could remember the name, belongs up there on the Mount Rushmore of hilarious MMA sponsors. Yeah. Uh, Dynamic Fastener, I think, is probably always going to be a favorite of mine, especially because after I did that story and learned that the dude doing the dy Dynamic Fastener sponsorships did not really seriously hope to gain any huge like advertising uh, push as a result of it. He just really liked MMA and, and wanted to support fighters, which I think tells you something about where the sponsor market was at. Uh also, yeah, how could you, how could you hope to sell dyna dynamic fasteners to the, to the MMA television audience? I don't, you would have to be in it for the love. Yes. I would think. Uh, but I am curious, like, I was thinking about that too, that how here we are, we're looking at the last one, the last event where we're going to see people with their unique shorts, with all their crazy, stupid sponsors on it, including at least every event, at least one guy's going to come out with something where you're like, how is that a real company? What do they even sell? I'm, I don't mean, I don't care enough to look it up, but I wonder. And the, the, everybody's kind of like the sponsor banners where you can get your own picture and you can stand there during the introductions next to a life-size picture of yourself. All those delightfully weird moments we've come to depend on in MMA Chad and it's going away. It's going to be the Reebok era now. Yeah. I feel like, like a part of the, MMA spirit dies with this era. I'm going to miss it a little bit, to be honest with you. Not like it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a tectonic shift or a life changing, uh, alteration in the fabric of the sport, but like, I'm going to miss watching prelim fights and kind of scouting around for the weirdest 
sponsor on somebody's shorts, like a vape company or like a, you know, local bail bonds company would be on people's shorts. Cause that always brought me joy. I'd always like to tweet about what's some weird sponsor on a guy's shorts. And now it obviously we can't say for sure what's going to happen with the Reebok uh, deal. Um, but it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think worst case scenario, everybody goes out there looking like contestants on The Ultimate Fighter. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think we're going to see a lot of fights where it just looks like the orange guy versus the blue guy kind of thing. Uh, I don't. I mean, maybe they'll fix that if it becomes an issue and they see that. But everything we've seen so far out of the Reebok creative department, as far as coming up with T-shirt designs and stuff for people, uh, their their select few fighters they signed endorsement deals with. I can't say I've seen anything that I've been impressed with yet. Have you? Uh, no, they just kind of throw a lion head on it so yeah, far, pretty much. right? But we got the unveiling. Is that this week that they're doing that? It's tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, of course, with the uh, co-main event podcast uh, <laughs> right. breaking news curse. And he's going to schedule that for Tuesday afternoon. So yeah, drop gonna, those kits on us. They're going to unveil the quote unquote UFC fighter kits. And frankly, I see no possible way that those could be received poorly on social media. When they debut the new Reebok kits. The interesting thing to me, Ben, and we've talked about this on the show before, I think, is that at first glance of the planning, it seems like Reebok is going to offer the kit of every single fighter on a UFC card for sale on its website during that event or after that event. Doesn't that it seem, seems impossible. Doesn't it seem to you like what they're actually going to do with some of those is like the, oh yeah, uh, Leandro Silva just fought. His kit's available online. Although if you order it, give us eight to twelve weeks because we gotta make we gotta make a copy of it. Up well, for see, you. we don't have them sitting around the warehouse to tell you the truth. And that's the thing that makes me wonder how much originality we're gonna be able to see in these uh, uniforms and like how much diversity there will be, or or you know whether the top stars will get their own thing and then there's gonna be like four other options for everyone else because it doesn't seem possible, frankly, right? To have like, to be, to be able to offer every single fighter in the UFC his or her own kind of signature look via Reebok. Oh yeah. There's no way. I mean, and so far from what we've seen of what they're offering for those top people, that's what makes me feel like, all right, so if that's the level of effort you're willing to put in for Conor McGregor and, and Ronda Rousey and, and stuff like that, Man, what are you gonna do for Santiago Ponzinibbio? Is he, does he just get like an old Reebok basketball t-shirt that didn't really sell? And, you know, you stick, you just put the word Santiago on a piece of masking tape and, and put, pull it across the front there. Cause I'm thinking we're, we're not more than one or two steps above that when it comes to some of these guys. You know, we have talked about this aspect of it on the show, I think before, but one of the things that, I always struck me kind of the in the back of my mind about this Reebok thing was that we should not underestimate what creatures of a habit professional athletes are in a lot of cases and how part of their focusing on the task at hand has to do with coming up with a system that works for them and then repeating it to the letter every single time. And for some people that that included in that was like what they would wear. Right. Yeah. Like remember way back in the day, Donald Cerrone would always have part of his original Muay Thai shorts would be incorporated somehow into his fight shorts. Like, and I believe, I'm not sure, but this is from going way back now to the tap out show, the, uh, the reality television show that I, that used to be on, I think HD net before they was even called that. Uh, was it on versus? 
It might have been on yeah. horses. Uh, but, uh, so, and I, I think Cowboy Cerrone's grandma would sew his shorts. Like, he would buy a pair of fight shorts and then she would alter it. So it would include this, like, strip from his, his tie shorts. Uh, and he obviously doesn't do that anymore. I think they got too old, but we're not going to see that anymore. Like, that kind of stuff. And that was, back in the day, that seemed important to him. It was like a, you know, not only like a good luck charm, but also sort of a nod to to his roots in a way. Well, it also seems like this is another opportunity where Reebok had better do it right. Otherwise, they'll get a lot of bad press from UFC fighters who have already shown that they are not afraid to bash the UFC's new apparel sponsor. I mean, the when it's one thing when it comes to their money, they're going to be a lot more vocal about that. But the way I understand the way this kit stuff is going to work, right, is that you show up, you know, say in Vegas for fight week and they have all your stuff there that you're going to wear in the fight. And I could see a lot of fighters being like, give me those shorts six weeks beforehand so that I can get used to them and train in them and see if I like them. And especially if what you're trying to sell us on is apparel, like if you're Reebok, if your apparel is not to the liking of the people who are forced to compete in it, and if they start letting us know, that's going to go badly for you. Yeah, that could go really badly. I guess to their credit, it seems like people who actually do CrossFit really like the Reebok CrossFit gear. I, whenever I see CrossFit types, you always know because they're wearing a CrossFit t-shirt, like a, a large, this is my own research, by the way. Who do you know who does CrossFit? Well, I don't know any of these people, but I see them around. <laughs> uh, and a good percentage of them are wearing those Reebok CrossFit shoes that they make. So maybe they'll do that for, for mixed martial arts too. You never know. Changing the game, Ben. Yeah. Keeping an open mind over here. And we'll see Santiago Ponzinibbio rocking his t-shirt with Santiago on duct tape on the front. <laughs> Can't wait to buy the Santiago Ponzinibbio kit off Reebok.com the next time he fights. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you've got questions or comments that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss from Monday to Friday when we're not recording the podcast. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, the saga of UFC featherweight champion Jose Aldo's ribs broke this past week while I was away. Uh, and from what I can gather, it seems like for a time there, there was some disagreement about whether or not Jose Aldo's ribs were actually broken. I think that disagreement is still going on. Still persists. That's right. As we sit here today, we understand that he's going to try to give it a go in training. I can't, I'm just I'm laughing about this because it's so ridiculous. He's going to try <laughs> to give it a go in training this week, probably tomorrow, I would assume, after we publish the podcast, uh, to see if, basically, if he can make the date of July 11th to fight Conor McGregor at UFC 189. Uh, what the fuck, dude? Yeah, there's a whole lot of what the fuck, dude, going on with this. For one thing, even the the way we're hearing different information about what's actually wrong with his ribs, it's not a great look for the UFC, to be honest with you, because when Aldo's camp is saying, hey, his ribs are broken, and the UFC sends out their own statement saying, not broken, just a bruise and a cartilage injury, uh, which is pretty vague, 
then it kind of makes it seem like there's a whole lot of pressure being put on Jose Aldo to actually go out there and fight. You're downplaying the injury. You've already got this backup plan where you're saying, hey, if he can't fight, it's going to be an interim title bout. Even though with a rib thing, he might only be out until the fall if he did have to pull out. It really feels like they're putting a lot of pressure on Jose Aldo to get in there and do the damn thing, which you can understand why with all the money and effort they spent promoting this fight. At the same time, though, we want to see them at least reasonably close to their best. And a rib thing, like, that could be pretty serious, especially because uh, if his ribs are broken or even, like, the cartilage injury thing. I mean, I've had cartilage injury stuff with my ribs, and it hurts a lot, and you can't really do a whole lot. It's really tender and uh, can make breathing difficult sometimes. I had cartilage stuff in my sternum, and it made it so it just, like, sharp pains every time he took a deep breath. And you have here with Aldo, a guy who still has a couple weeks where he would probably want to be training and a guy who has had trouble making weight in the past, and now he has to deal with rib stuff on top of all that. I mean, if it if it inhibits him from being able to train and and most importantly at this point, timeline-wise, cut weight, that could really factor into the fight here, especially when you're going into a fight with a guy who knows where you're hurt. Yeah, and the weight cut thing, which I had not thought about until you just brought it up, is interesting because if you miss weight as the champion, that's it for you. They like you, as far as I understand, you are no longer the champion at that point. So, uh, Aldo has a lot to think about. He expects, I would assume, a major league payday for this pay per view appearance. Uh, the UFC certainly has a lot riding on it. They basically ignored the welterweight title fight between Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald at, you know, at, in favor of promoting this fight, promoting UFC 189. Doesn't seem like they're revising that a little now? Well, yeah, you better. Did at you this see, point. did you see the ads, uh, that they were running during this past weekend show? I did not. Well, that's right. Cause you watched it on DVR. Probably. So you skipped through all that. Yes. Crap. Yes. In fact, I did. I did fast forward through the commercials. The ads had a different tenor. I would assume <laughs> they would, yeah. Uh, and I guess the lesson to be learned here is when you uh, totally ignore one, you know, when you turn a, a UFC event into a one-fight affair, of course that fight is going to fall apart. Have we learned nothing We've from, learned absolutely from nothing. the MMA gods? The nature, remember when Quentin Rampage Jackson lost to Ninja Hua, little-ass ninja, back in Pride years ago? Uh, and I believe... Uh, he tapped out because he said he had broken ribs, and then later it turned out he had just torn cartilage around his ribs or something like that. Similar, I guess, to this injury that sounds like Jose Aldo has. It's hard for me to believe as we sit here today. Well, from a clearly, purely from a medical standpoint, it's hard for me to believe that Jose Aldo will be able to make it to this fight. Uh, from a I've been around the fight game for a long time perspective, I think he will. But... Well, Man, that's, that's, it's just such a bummer and hard to believe that 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 he would be able to compete against Conor McGregor uh, if he if he if his init initial reaction was that he thought that he had broken ribs. And the fact that we're hearing about it at all means it's a pretty bad injury. Yeah, and this is the thing that I keep thinking about: is I know how we'll all be really bummed if he can't fight on this one, and they end up doing. Honestly, I don't think Conor McGregor versus Chad Mendes is a bad fight at all. I, I mean, hashtag would watch that one. I don't even need the uh, interim title business to make it more interesting for me. I think it's you know Conor McGregor is an exciting and, and charismatic enough dude on his own. He and Chad Mendes have already started up a little bit of a, a beef that people notice. So I think that they can go ahead and sell that fight and, and do okay. But I feel like I. 
I guess maybe the worst case scenario is that we see a broke-ass Jose Aldo roll in there because he didn't want the UFC to get mad at him because he needed the payday because uh, he didn't want to have to worry about the interim title stuff. And so he told himself with all the pressure that they were putting on him, okay, I'll go in there and I'll do it. And then we figure out pretty quickly that he can't. Like, I think that might leave us with a bad taste in our mouths after what's supposed to be the biggest UFC event of the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's already kind of undermined. It's already damaged. Uh, and the, the the thing about Jose Aldo going out there hurt and trying to do it against Conor McGregor and potentially losing his title that way, it obviously hurts McGregor a little bit because I think then it's a you're able to shortchange his victory that he beat a... a a, a less than 100% Jose Aldo. But at the same time, if you're Jose Aldo, and I know that it's out there that if he loses to Conor McGregor, he's going to get a rematch. But like anything could happen, man. That's the, in this sport, especially dealing with a guy like Jose Aldo who gets hurt seemingly all the time. It's not a given that if you lose your title to Conor McGregor, you're ever getting that back because you could get hurt in training. They could pass you over. Uh, Conor McGregor could just beat you the second time because I think one of the things that played into Jose Aldo's favor heading into this first fight was McGregor's relative inexperience. And McGregor seems like the kind of guy who, uh, just gets better and better the more time he has to focus only on mixed martial arts training. So as far as I'm concerned, this puts Jose Aldo in a tough spot all the way around. Yeah. Well, you know what? When we were talking on uh, with the MMA Junkie staff, we're kind of getting our fight picks together and everything a little bit further in advance for this one since there's no event this weekend. And sitting down to make my pick for this one, before this rib stuff, I would have still said Aldo uh, just because he's Jose Aldo. Oh, he, he's established himself there. And there's still some question marks about Conor McGregor hasn't fought that same level of competition. Now it seems like... A lot of stuff is in McGregor's corner going in. Not only the rib stuff, if he does end up fighting Chad Mendez uh, for the interim title, then you have Chad Mendez basically taking that fight on short notice. And I know the Al Team Alpha Male guys stay in pretty good shape year-round, but it's still it's a little bit different. To, he's going to have to show up in Vegas probably and not necessarily know if he's going to fight or not. Uh, so it seems like regardless of who Conor McGregor faces here, I kind of like his odds now. I kind of have to pick Conor McGregor against TBA uh, in this fight at this point. Yeah, it's hard to uh, imagine Jose Aldo, if he's really hurt that bad, coming in and being able to beat a guy the caliber of McGregor. If he does, that will be very impressive. Uh, at the same time, man, what a screw job for McGregor, too, to have to potentially shift gears from what you would think would be a stand-up based fight against Jose Aldo to taking on a guy like Chad Mendez, who you would have to assume is going to come out there and just try to take you down for 25 minutes. Like, that doesn't seem like an insignificant matchup of styles change to me. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, but I'd still have to favor McGregor in that matchup. And also from everything I heard, the... Big push from Conor McGregor's camp on this one when the initial report was out that Jose Aldo might be hurt and we weren't sure what are they going to do. Are they going to postpone it? Are they going to get another person in there to fight him? There was some talk, and I think not completely unserious talk about a fight at 155 pounds with McGregor against Nate Diaz. Uh, and from what people were saying, it sounded like Conor McGregor was adamant about staying on this card, that 
he didn't want to postpone it and come back in October or something and do it. That especially he knew how many Irish fans he has coming over. And, you know, that's a significant plane ticket and expense for the travel to come all the way over for Vegas. And he didn't want to let him down, wanted to stay on the card and fight. Yeah, and you have to assume that the UFC felt like its hands were tied, like it couldn't couldn't postpone this thing because it had done so much promotion for it and expected to had already sold the joint out and expected so many people from from Ireland uh to make the trip. So I think it seems like kind of a bad deal for everyone involved, frankly. Uh and we have do we know for sure I know that the Brazilian Conor McGregor the guy who was impersonating Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo's camp was on the Jonas Bellerino yeah, on the, on the MMA name. hour yes. today. Uh, is he the guy that also hurt Aldo? I don't think so. Okay, because can you imagine guy. how insufferable McGregor would be <laughs> yes. if he found out that Jose Aldo couldn't even beat the Brazilian Conor McGregor? <laughs> that stuff writes itself. Anyway, Ben, let's do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two today. What is your? Are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? It's kind of a like a sympathetic are you fucking kidding me in a way. Steve Bossy, hockey goon Steve Bossy, who we've been told for a while was going to make it into the UFC, uh, signed a UFC deal, I believe, in 2014. And we remember we had heard that he had actually retired. He was going to come out of retirement to maybe fill in when we weren't sure if Rampage Jackson was going to be able to fight, uh, I believe. Uh, but then he finally gets to make his UFC debut at UFC Fight Night uh, 70 against Thiago Santos. And then he goes out there and gets his damn head kicked off 29 seconds into the fight. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? I, I gotta feel bad for this guy, man. Are you fucking kidding me? It does it has turned into kind of a hard luck story for Steve Bossy. And he, did you see that knockout? I mean, it, yes, it, that was hard ugly, to man. unsee that knockout. Yeah, in fact, I, it was like somebody just picked up the hacksaw Jim Duggan two by four <laughs> and went right upside his head with it. The kind where, and we haven't seen one of these for a little while. It seems where he's down for a while, and you're thinking, okay. Let's just hope that guy gets up. Let's hope he gets up in some form closely resembling the form in which he came into the cage tonight. Because that was scary. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? A two-part are you fucking kidding me from me this week. First of all, are you fucking kidding me to the New York State government, which this year of all years, which appeared to be the year that mixed martial arts was finally going to get legalized in the Empire State they failed to do that once again, and we all know what the big loss is here, right? That we have to spend another year hearing about the fight to legalize mixed martial arts in Are New York. Are you fucking kidding Are me? Are you fucking kidding me? Second part of the Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to UFC President Dana White for going on Twitter to decry the uh you know the surly politics and the corruption inside the New York state legislature calling it i believe disgusting in all caps as if to say their lobbyists were better than our lobbyists are you fucking kidding me are you fucking kidding me that's going to do it for round number 1 we'll be right back with round number 2 
Well, Chad, in the UFC Fight Night 70 main event, your guy, Yoel Romero. The soldier of dog. The soldier of God, Yoel Romero, one of your guys. He goes out there. He beats up Leota Machida in a genuinely impressive performance. Looks good on the feet. Takes Machida down. Elbows him until Machida lies still and goes to sleep. And then, Chad, and then... He gets on the mic, tells us, listen, 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 Yoel Romero has something to say. He did preface his remarks by saying that. that he is really, really wanted us to listen and pay attention, which, for one thing, seems a little unnecessary because you're the one person talking into the mic at the moment, so we are already listening and paying attention to you. Once he starts talking, what do you think he's saying? Okay, look. Let's, this is like a little Rorschach test yeah, for the MMA yes, community yes. here. What did you hear? Let's start here. If, and I put if in italics here, it turned out that an obviously batshit crazy mixed martial arts fighter whose nickname is the Soldier of God, if it turned out that that guy was not that thrilled by marriage equality, the word that we would apply to that situation would not be shocked, right? We would not be shocked to learn that. And yet, in the same breath, I think that we should acknowledge from the beginning that, number one, as you said, it's impossible for us to know exactly what Yoel Romero actually said during that interview, and it's equally impossible for us to know what he meant. Now, you asked me the Rorschach test question, so I will say that, as you know, I watched this event on DVR. And you had heard, had you not? No. Okay. I'd heard nothing, because I was excited about Yoel Romero, Leota Machida, so I stayed off Twitter for a couple of days, which was easy to do, because I just had a baby. Uh, And so I watched this. Your wife had a baby. That's right. I was there. I stood stood around and watched. Uh, I watched this event cold, not spoiled, so I would have an organic response to it, Uh I have to be honest that when I watched the post-fight interview by Yoel Romero, it was weird, but I didn't in my mind connect it to gay marriage. Okay. I didn't, and I didn't realize that there was any outcry about it until afterward, immediately afterward, I looked on the internets and saw that there had been this controversy. Uh, and what I heard him say, I believe, uh, was don't forget Jesus or not forget Jesus, something like that. And then I looked online and it seemed like there was some speculation that he'd said, not gay Jesus, not for gay, Jesus. not for gay. Cause Jesus. the line before that was go for Jesus, go for Jesus. So then it would kind of make sense structurally wise that if you're saying like, go for this, not for that. Well, I don't know that we can apply any kind of English structural okay, rules to here, what was going on in Yoel Romero's post And here's post-fight a good interview. point. Here's a good point that I think people are, are bringing up when they're talking about this is they're saying like, well, come on, not for gay Jesus. That doesn't, that's not even a phrase. It doesn't even really make sense. But at the same time, then people are arguing like, well, come on, he's not a native English speaker. So, cause he says several things that are just like awkward, weird phrasing yes. throughout that yeah. thing. Uh, and so it can't, you can't really use both of those. You can't be like, he would never say that because it's a weird phrase that nobody uses and doesn't make sense. But also you can't apply normal, uh, expectations of phraseology and what makes sense to him because he's not a native speaker. Like he can't be both. Those right. Things. As he was saying it, what I took it as, and again, I didn't hear not for gay Jesus. So I didn't connect it to, to the gay marriage, uh, legalization in my mind. I took it as a broad based critique of American society, which is something that 
you know, evangelical Christians and very religious people make all the time. Right. So, but then I've never heard him make quite such a like, hey, America, get right. your it shit was, together. I'm not, I'm not denying it was weird because it was weird. That's and the what, thing that made it most weird and the thing that makes me believe that he probably was, in fact, talking about gay marriage was the quote unquote clarification afterward. Yes, definitely. Because so, he came to the press conference and clearly as part of his quote unquote clarification, tried to make it seem like he was saying something that he was not saying at all. That is the only thing I feel a hundred percent confident about saying about that interview is that he did not thank us for and encourage us to pursue the American yeah, dream. Th- that did not come up. Uh, and it is, as we've said on this show before, the classic mixed martial arts, either apology or clarification in that it kind of made the original statement worse. Yeah. Because you clearly felt like you needed to come to the press conference and lie to us about what your intent had been. And that that uh, lie or, you know, untruth made me think like, OK, he probably did mean to craft a critique of gay marriage and that uh, kind of a bummer. But also, I feel like, like I said at the top of the round, we shouldn't be surprised about that Yoel Romero would say that. And let me just add, we as forward-thinking progressive type individuals would probably be astonished and horrified were we to see broad-based statistical analysis of things that mixed martial arts fighters believe. Okay, a couple things about that. You're, you're right about, like, if he had come to the press conference and said, Hey, I wasn't referring to any one thing. I just think America in general, you all need to get your asses to church and right. all worship yes. the same God. That's what I thought he was uh, saying. I would still think like, all right, that's a weird thing to say after your title, like, or after your, your fight that puts you in title contention. I thought you, when you said, listen, 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 you're going to tell us how you should beat up Chris Weidman or whatever. Uh, and you go instead saying that we all need to worship the God that you worship. Um, I think that's a weird thing to do, but people do it all the time. So fine. It would not have been newsworthy if he had said like, I was just talking in, in vague terms, um, and I said, like, hey, don't forget about Jesus, like, which I don't feel American culture is in any danger of letting us forget about. But okay. Like, then I would have been like, fine. Um, you're right, though, that him trying to take in a completely different direction and say that he was talking about something he obviously was not talking about makes you more suspicious. The thing is, too, though, like, I – my reaction to it, when I went back and listened to it afterwards, and people were like, no, he's saying not forget Jesus. And I was like – Okay, when I listened to it later, the la- like the third and fourth and fifth time, I was like, I can, I could hear that. I still kind of hear for gay Jesus, but okay, I doesn't, I could be wrong about that. But as he was giving the speech, when he said, you know, you know, he he wants us all to listen, and he starts off with America, what happened? What happened to you? What's wrong? You need to go back. And I was like, I mean, this came one day after a historic Supreme Court decision legalizing gay marriage. I mean, like the closest thing to like. Brown v. Board of Education and Loving v. Virginia that we have see, probably seen in our lifetimes, Chad. And one day later, an intensely religious fighter gets up and says, what happened to you, America? I was already thinking in my mind, oh, no, don't do it. Don't you go there, you El Romero. Don't do it, man. And so then when he's like, I feel like in my brain, I was kind of already listening to see, like, is he going to say something about gay marriage? Is, is that going to come up? And so th- maybe... Yeah, maybe we misheard him because it already seemed like he was going in that direction. The curious thing to me is that of the reactions, there's a lot of people like really vociferously being like, no, he's, he, for one thing, anybody saying like, he clearly said this or he clearly said that. You can't say he clearly said anything there. Like you can't, you don't know what he clearly said. He didn't, if he said anything clearly, we wouldn't be having a conversation, but also 
and I sent you a, like a tweet that somebody sent me earlier where they're like, oh, I agree with them. The sodomites have ruined this guy. You know, you see a lot of that reaction, which makes me wonder, like, I mean, how can it be that there's a whole bunch of people being like, hey, he wasn't talking about that at all. And then a whole bunch of other people being like, he was talking about that at all. And I, for one, am glad to have heard him talk about that. Like, clearly there must have been some kind of dog whistles or just like contextual <laughs> stuff going on in there that made people hear some of that stuff. Like, I can't be just a total coincidence. Because, uh, you know, the people who strongly disagree with it heard it. The people who agree with it heard it. Uh, I mean, it, that if that did just completely come out of nowhere, then he's the most unfortunate person alive to have his big UFC win ruined with such a colossal misunderstanding. Yeah, and like I said, after the non-clarification clarification at the press conference, I do think it was likely he was probably trying to make an argument against gay marriage. Um, but I would also, just to counterpoint your point, not be surprised if a guy like Yoel Romero was not aware of that Supreme now, Court see, decision. I think you're right. Like if you told me, especially on his fight week, that Yoel Romero was not paying attention to the news like the day before his big fight, yeah, I I believe that. Uh but I don't know. I mean, I do also feel like uh like you made the point like hey, MMA fighters probably believe a bunch of shit that would horrify us. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, but I mean, it's one of the things that kind of pleased me about the reaction from a lot of MMA fans, especially like did you see that tweet and they deleted it afterwards where Fox Sports was like or the UFC on Fox Twitter was like, "Oh, big win for you Romero. No idea what he just said there, but it doesn't matter. All that matters is that he beat Leota Machida." And all the responses were just like, "You know what the hell he said." Like, and there, you know, I think that if nothing else, this kind of showed like if even if you're accidentally like being a bigot against gay people, we are to the point in society and MMA fans probably because of the younger demographic are more likely to the point where you will have to get up at the press conference and decide between either taking a like a whole bunch of shit, a whole bunch of people who were your friends who aren't going to be your fans anymore or saying that you didn't mean that at all. Like right, you that, can't just be an open bigot and right. be totally fine in MMA, which like I guess – Tender mercies, small victories for us in MMA. I feel like, yeah, that's a positive, right? That that there's a groundswell of of uh, of criticism after he he was believed to have made a statement against gay marriage. I think we have to accept that as as a positive development in society, uh, and that's probably the best we're gonna do out of this <laughs> particular situation. I want to talk about how awesome Yoel Romero looked in the actual fight. Maybe we can do that in round number three. That starts right now. Well, Ben, part of Yoel Romero's thing has always been that he's been sort of a loose cannon. And even before uh, the controversial statements, I think you could see that inside the cage after his victory over Leota Machida, where he seemed to experience every human emotion 
uh, between the time of the stoppage and the time that a Florida State Athletic Commission official had to literally physically pull him down off the top of the cage. Uh, it seemed like the Florida Athletic Commission officials like really got kind of hands-on with him a couple yeah, points. Yeah, they did. Kind of took their lives into their own hands, really. And I think it was because he was acting so weird afterward. And I don't know if that has always been part of his appeal, but previous to this, we talked about Leo, uh, Yoel Romero. We talked about it last week, in fact, about one of the things that seemed so astounding about him was that he had been so successful in the UFC and successful throughout his MMA career, really, while looking like he was not sure what he was doing at all. Uh, he had this sort of like greenhorn, raw, uh, unmolded lump of clay look about him. And maybe the main concern about Romero was that at his advanced age in his late 30s was that he was not going to put together his MMA skill set into something that would make him a top, top contender before he basically aged out, right? He shows up to fight Leota Machida, and we'll probably want to talk about the kind of resistance that Leota Machida was able to offer uh, in this round as well. But he showed up against Leota Machida, at least in my opinion, no longer looking like the unshaped lump of clay. There wasn't a, any point during this fight where I looked at Yoel Romero and I was like, he has no idea what he's doing out there. That was absent from this fight, and in its place was a Yoel Romero that I found terrifying, and a Yoel Romero that if he can avoid future hate-based gaffes, I guess you would say, verbal verbal gaffes, seems like he could be the guy to beat for Chris Weidman in this division. Yay or nay? You're right that it seemed like... It seemed like uh, not that he had just completely erased that part of himself that was just going out there and trying shit, but that he had managed to really funnel it into only being productive and no longer being like a potential weakness. And he made that comment afterwards about Leota Machida, that he's such a good fighter that you can't make any mistakes against him. And that made me wonder if maybe that was kind of what it took for him to maybe that and experience uh, for him to get to that point where instead of just kind of going out there and going, all right, let's try this now and see how that works, which has worked pretty goddamn well uh, in his UFC career so far. That instead, where he went up against somebody where he felt like, I can't really do that. I have to know what I'm going to do is going to work before I go out there and try it against him because he can make you pay instantly if you fuck up. Um, that all combined to have him looking, you're right, like the kind of dude who could present some real problems stylistically, especially for somebody like Chris Weidman. Uh, the wrestling ability, the his his control of the distance seems to be getting a little better, and just the man's sheer goddamn power. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying maybe he was just out there messing around against guys like Brad Tavares and Tim Kennedy and Derek Brunson? Particularly against, like, in that, like, the Derek Brunson and Brad Tavares fights definitely kind of messing around, it seemed. Yeah. Maybe a little less so in the Tim Kennedy fight, uh, although that one got a little messier for him. Um, but it did seem like the, the thing that you, you pointed out was absent in the Leota Machida fight was he was, careful without being overly cautious like he wasn't opening himself up uh to needless counterattacks. i think it also though really helped him to be able to fight leota machida in that smaller cage yeah like, that could be style wise for both of them that was a, a real 
gift for you, El Romero. Not to say he wouldn't have beaten him in the larger cage, but we saw Machida get trapped against the fence way more than he usually does. And some of that could be he's getting a little older, that elusive style, like you said last week. Maybe he doesn't age quite as well. But also when you have a smaller area to work with, it seemed like he found himself uh, just running out of real estate in areas where he usually didn't. Yeah, it was as if the athleticism was there for Yoel Romero, but like kind of the wasted motion or the, the more unorthodox stuff that he would do that didn't really seem to work were kind of, was kind of absent from this fight. So like when he challenged or when he channeled his, his athleticism in this fight, it came in the form of like a flying knee and a Superman punch off the cage at the end of round one. I think it was awesome, which is like to see a, a muscled up middleweight do that is really something, frankly. And a dude from a wrestling background do that. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, uh, he has explosive athleticism and power and a physique that on a 38-year-old man makes you wonder. Hmm, But at the the same time, uh, he seems like an exciting addition to the the middleweight. Not an addition, but he's already there. But like, you know, an an exciting guy now as a top contender in the middleweight division. I would assume we're still going to get to see him fight Jacare because they've got... Please, please, by all means, can we please see that shit? Because they, uh, you know, they've got... Weidman set up against Luke Rockhold. And frankly, after this Leota Machida appearance, uh, makes me think a slightly different way about that Jacare fight, or makes me think that that Jacare fight may have gone a different way. Because previous to this, I would have thought Jacare's, uh, experience probably wins the day. Now, man, I got no fucking idea. Yo Romero looked so goddamn good against Machida that he could very well beat Jacare. Although, uh, we should probably spend a few minutes here before we have to wrap up the show talking about Machida since, uh, you know, I guess if you wanted to make the case that maybe this was more Machida looking bad than Romero looking good, you, you probably could, even though again, from the to Machida, it's not as though we got the impression that he was done. No. If anything, I mean, you could maybe say that once the fight hit the mat and uh, Romero started unleashing those elbows, it seemed like, okay, maybe Machida didn't didn't work as well off his back or take the, the elbows as well as he might have earlier in his career. Or maybe, again, this style that uh, he employs doesn't age as well when your feet lose a little bit of that speed and you're no longer able to get away from uh, aggressive uh, attacking fighters like UL Romero. Sure, you could you could kind of say that stuff. But, you know, it's not like when you look at who he's lost to recently, he lost to Luke Rockhold and UL Romero in like two months' time. And Weidman before that was his, his loss was to Weidman. Right. So top quality stuff there. Yeah, like you can't con- like conclude from that that Leota Machida needs to hang it up. It does, though, seem, and I, I use this as a basis when I picked UL Romero uh, for our, our staff picks beforehand, it seems even more glaringly obvious that it was a mistake to take these two fights, Luke Rockhold and Yoel Romero, especially after getting brutalized by Luke Rockhold in that loss, and then you're going to turn around and fight Yoel Romero like a little over two months later. How did you even get cleared to go out and train like full contact uh, in that time span, let alone take another fight? Like It seems like, in retrospect... I'm kind of having a hard time understanding how it got sanctioned. 
Well, Florida, I guess, would be the <laughs> okay. number one answer to that question. It was kind of shocking to see Machida get lit up on the feet as much as he did during this fight. He was working mostly kicks I thought he was scoring with. He landed a bunch of nice body kicks on UL Romero, some nice leg kicks, and none of them seemed to bother Romero at all. Uh, but then, you know, M- Romero was working, I don't know if you want to say a sneaky, but maybe kind of an unorthodox striking game that where he was able to land the left hand and on the broadcast they made kind of a big deal about Southpaw against Southpaw and maybe there's something to that that, you know, lefties aren't used to see another lefties in the cage and, and Romero was able to do a lot of good work in the stand-up game, uh, you know, with, with his, his left hand and land some power shots. And that's the thing that, you know, might have been the most impressive was that he was able to go out there and touch up a guy like Machida so much, a guy who has historically been really hard to hit and, and, you know, been one of the UFC's more difficult defensive fighters to track down. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, though, Lyoto Machida, 37 years old, uh, he was saying he thought he, if he won this fight, it would get him right back in there in title consideration. Instead, he loses it and gets knocked out in the process. It seems to me like he's about as far from title consideration as you can be. And we've entered the, the period where Lyoto Machida, I mean, sure, I'd watch him fight somebody like Bisping. I'd watch that. Uh, but it does seem to me like this was the one that showed the days of Leo Machida fighting for a UFC gold are over. Yeah, time to pull a six-month retirement and then show up over in Bellator, am I right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, over in that newly stocked Bellator middleweight division. Call him up, let's talk business, Scott Coker. He'll fight Dada 5,000 in a money-weight <laughs> bout. All right, well, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, my Just Saying Stuff goes out to former Bellator middleweight champion Alexander Shlomenko, who uh, got the hammer from the California State Athletic Commission this past week. Uh, banned for three years after testing positive for elevated levels of testosterone uh, in his fight against Melvin Manhoff at Bellator 133. It has been a bad couple years for Schlemenko, and I'm just saying it's going to be a bad few more years for Schlemenko. Remember when this dude was kind of the new hotness when he was 50 and 7 and he was out there knocking out dudes like Doug Marshall and choking out Brennan Ward and we were like, all right, I believe we talked about it on the podcast. Maybe Alexander Schlemenko is the kind of dude uh, that we need to start paying attention to. Then he goes out gets stopped by Tito Ortiz in the first round, which there's, if you, if you are looking for a point uh, behind the music style point that you are riding (laughs) high and it all comes crashing down, losing to Tito Ortiz is, is probably as close as you're going to get loses to Brandon Halsey. And now basically his career is over. I'm just saying, Alexander Schlemenko, we hardly knew ye. Just saying. Poor guy. So you think what we hear next is, welcome to Jiffy Lube, I'm Alex, how can I help you? <laughs> Either that or he's going to be over there in, in Europe fighting in those knife night fights where they got the, the swords and the armor. Swords indeed, Chad Dundas. Swords he, with his, indeed. With his spinning attacks, he could be money with those swords. Yeah, and hey, try and regulate that, California State Athletic exactly. Commission. Yeah. Not under your jurisdiction, bro. Some guy in a, in a red suit is going to go over and try to prevent Alexander Schlemenko from taking out his broadsword and unleashing some spinning attacks? I don't think so. I think it's actually in the California State Athletic Commission bylaws. Once you put on chain mail, they can no longer exercise any power over you. Well, it is no longer unarmed combat, right? <laughs> Well, Chad, my Just Saying Stuff this week is a two-pronged Just Saying Stuff. Oh, okay. All right. Prong the first. 
if this whole Yoel Romero possible controversial, possible misunderstood uh, post-fight remarks thing teaches us anything, it's that people on the internet stay misunderstanding what free speech means. It does not mean that you can get on TV or wherever else and say anything you absolutely want and nobody else gets to express an opinion about your opinions. Criticizing somebody's speech is not a violation of their free speech. You would have thought that somebody uh, would have gotten this message out to all the internet people by now, and yet it just doesn't seem like that's happening. Uh, Prong the second. Uh, can we stop acting like gay marriage is one of those like controversial issues on which there are two totally uh, different but reasonable sides? Because there's not. Because it's people who want to get married and it has nothing to do with you. And if you want to violate somebody's civil rights because they want to marry somebody else and it does not affect your life in the least and you want to stop them from being happy, you an asshole, B. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just saying. Wow. Well, we're going to get some emails now. Bring I it. Bet. Bring those emails. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to look ahead to UFC 189. As long as we all survive the 4th of July weekend and uh, to see what kind of shape that pay-per-view event is in as we hit the home stretch. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know when I suffered my rib cartilage injury, Chad? When? 2005. Okay. Uh, this previous winter, I was shoveling snow and it still hurts. Still you are a decrepit bag of bones over there. Nobody asked me a few weeks after my rib injury.